Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Serving the Rogue Valley from Central Point, Oregon. We are a multi-generational family. Equipping believers to be adopted in, growing up, and reaching out through the gospel. In your Bibles, that would be wonderful this morning. I hope you're encouraged by taking the Lord's Supper. And um, even as Spencer just mentioned that, in doing that, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And that's what we get to talk about this morning, hoping for him to come again. And so, um, I don't know about you, but I find that often we can get a very skewed perspective just as broken, fallen human beings. And that so often... The things that we think are so significant and important really aren't that important, especially the Oregon Ducks, (laughs) especially that. And uh, in these things, we we tend to really be like like Jesus' disciples that we see in the Gospels. And over and over, we see them asking the wrong questions, having the wrong perspective, with the wrong motives even, and Jesus needs to correct them again and again, and he also needs to correct us. And so our passage's focus, the passage we're looking at this morning, its focus is really concerned with what we often call end-time events. And just like the disciples, our focus can get kind of skewed when we talk about those. So Jesus teaches us in our passage we're looking at this morning about suffering, about tribulation, end-time events, but he does so in order to teach us how we need to live today. He doesn't get hung up, and we shouldn't get hung up on the details But what he teaches us is that Jesus' disciples in every age must live on mission despite suffering until he returns. So look at Mark 13. I'll read the first four verses. And as he came out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So before we really get into what Jesus starts to teach here in this chapter, we just see how the disciples are already fundamentally misunderstanding, um, misunderstanding what Jesus is really all about. And we've looked the last few weeks, Jesus has been teaching in the temple for a while, answering questions from the scribes and the Pharisees, um, challenging kind of them back, and um, just teaching in the temple for a while. We've talked about how it's only two days until Jesus is going to be crucified, only two days away. And so after teaching in the temple a while, he comes out of the temple, and one disciple is just really struck by the architecture of the temple, I guess. So he just says, look, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings, and I'm sure the temple was very beautiful. And Jesus says, well, it's all going to just be thrown down anyways. It's really not all that important. It wasn't the most important thing to Jesus, the physical building of the temple itself. And, you know, the temple was destroyed. About 40 years later in uh, the year AD 70, it was destroyed by the Romans, but this comment that Jesus makes about the temples, the, the disciples take it so seriously, and they think it's the most important thing. And so they go over to the Mount of Olives, and then Peter and James and John and Andrew are like, okay, 
tell us what you're talking about. What do you, what do you mean? And so they ask two questions. Look in verse 4. They say, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? They're asking two questions, basically. When is the temple going to be destroyed? And what are the signs going to be that are going to tell us about when it's going to happen? How are we going to know in advance that it's going to happen? And again, they're asking about that physical building. And it's probably safe for us to say they're asking the wrong questions. Like I said, they're generally concerned about the wrong things in the Gospels. They, don't, they never have the perspective that Jesus wants them to have. And so he often has to challenge their thinking. And so he's not, in this long teaching we're going to look at from Jesus, he's not really answering their question. One commentator said that Jesus is correcting his disciples by telling them not what they want to know, but what they need to know about the future in order to live properly in the present, which I think is exactly right. They want to know about the destruction of the temple, and they probably think that it's super important, and that's going to be the, the end times and all that. But Jesus is saying that this is just one small part of all of trials and sufferings and the suffering that we will face in the present and the future. And so he's showing us how our lives fit into God's bigger story, how we should view suffering and trials in light of these end time events and how we can live on mission for the gospel despite our trials. So let's look at what Jesus has to say. Look at verse 5. And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginnings of the birth pains. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So Jesus, is, he starts teaching, and he's not, like I said, he's not answering their question. And so this age of time that Jesus is referring to here in these verses, it's, it's the church age, the age that's still going on, the age that's been taking place since he ascended to heaven and until he comes back again. That's what he's talking about here. And I think part of what Jesus is saying is, look, yes, the temple's going to be destroyed. This building that you're so worried about, that's going to be destroyed. But that's only one of these many things that are going to happen in this day and age. And that this present age is going to be marked by trials and suffering for Jesus' disciples. And that extends to us today. But that in the middle of those trials and suffering, they must live on mission, on task. So let's look at what Jesus teaches us about this age. He, he begins with teaching us about the trials that are going to take place, that there's going to be difficulty for his disciples. And you see this again and again throughout the Gospels, that Jesus says over and over, if you follow me, you should expect to suffer. You should expect there to be hardships and difficulties. So what kind of trials does he talk about? Look at verse 7. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Verse 8. Nation rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Earthquakes, famines, 
So there's going to be all these just general wars that take place. And we've seen plenty of wars take place in, in Earth's history since Jesus has gone to heaven. I think we can all agree about that. And we certainly have brothers and sisters around the world who are facing trials and oppression and persecution in the middle of wars. And we, we, we need to be praying for them. And it's not just that. He says there's natural disasters, right? Earthquakes, famines, even recently in the U.S., hurricanes, these natural disasters that come that cause these trials for Jesus' disciples. And it's, that's the result of living in a broken world like we do today, that we should expect these things because the world is cursed because of sin. But there's more specific trials as well. Look at verse 9. You will be delivered over to councils. You will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings to bear witness for my sake. In verse 11, you will be brought over to trial, delivered over. Uh, verse 12, brother will deliver brother over to death. Father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Very encouraging words <laughs> from Jesus. But again, like I said, all throughout the Gospels, again and again, you see Jesus saying that just as I was hated, so are you going to be. Just as he had to give an account to who he was to the governing authorities of his days, that we have brothers and sisters around the world who have to, get, who have to give an account of their faith to their governments. And I think we can certainly be blessed and grateful to live where we live and to enjoy the freedom and the rights that we have. I, there's no doubt about it that we can be grateful to God for the reality of where we live and the freedoms we enjoy. And we can be grateful that we get to play a role in, in electing people in our government. Like, th there's no denying that. We can be very grateful for that. But the scriptures don't guarantee that to us. That's not a promise from the Bible. That's not a guarantee from the scriptures that that's something we, that every disciple of Jesus gets. And like I've been saying, we have family, brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who don't get to enjoy those same freedoms but Jesus' words are still true for them. And until Jesus returns, the nations are going to keep on raging. Politicians and leaders will keep on failing, and there will ultimately still be trials and sufferings for Christ's disciples. I mean, Jesus said in verse 12 that brother will deliver brother over to death. That idea of being delivered over, that only occurs a couple times in the Gospel of Mark. And first, it's with John the Baptist when he's delivered over to Herod to die. And then Jesus says it here, but the only other time we see that is when Jesus himself is delivered over to death from Pilate to the Jewish leaders to be crucified. It's the only time you see that, that idea, that phrase used. What Jesus is saying is that the path of the cross is the path for all of his disciples. He told us we need to take up our cross and follow him. And we may not be crucified. You and I may not be crucified. We may not die a martyr's death. Or honestly, we may not even be pushed back for what we believe all that much. We may not be pushed back on that. But what Jesus is, is telling us is that the path of a disciple is a pathway of suffering, of trials, but it's the path that he walked for us. And it's the path that he walked before us as well. And it's all, as he says, it's all for his name's sake. Now, we'll be hated by all for his name's sake. So as we endure suffering, as we endure trials in this present age, we know that we're bringing glory and honor to Jesus, bringing honor to our King as we continue in our faith despite opposition, despite persecution or difficulties or hardships and any of these things, we, we bring Jesus glory for that. It's pretty amazing. So he talks a lot about the trials, obviously, of the present, but he also talks about how there's a task in the present as well. 
Look down at verse 10. It's kind of summed up in this verse that Jesus says, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. So the proclamation of the gospel to all the nations, that is the goal and has been the goal of the church for 2,000 years, and that doesn't change. This is the, the goal of the church since Jesus went up to heaven, since the disciples you know, took the gospel and headed out and started preaching it, and it's still our goal today. It's still the church's mission today. It's the main task that Jesus has left us with. But there's other, there's other imperatives, there's other commands that Jesus uses in this passage as well. In verse 6, he tells us to not be led astray. In verse 9, he says to be on guard, to bear witness before rulers. In verse 11, he says, speak whatever the Holy Spirit gives you to say. In verse 13, he tells us to endure to the end. These are these other imperative commands that he uses, but what are we supposed to be not led astray from? The gospel. What are we supposed to guard against false teaching? The gospel. What are we supposed to bear witness of speaking in the Holy Spirit? It's the gospel, and that's the truth that we endure in through suffering to the end is, is the message of the gospel. It's the truth that sustains us in trials. We guard the gospel against false teaching. We guard it against any false Christs or false prophets like Jesus talks about. Anyone who would claim to take the place claim to take the place of Christ. The gospel is what we can speak when people ask us, how are you so calm in this during this trial in your life? How do you have joy based in spite of what's going on right now? The message of the gospel is what we get the privilege to speak to a broken world that doesn't understand the joy we have in Christ. And so it's what sustains us, it keeps us, and the spread and the advancement of the gospel is, is the mission of the church, right? Jesus said that it must be proclaimed to all nations. The task remains the same for us today, that we need to guard the gospel and we need to speak it and proclaim it and tell it to people around us. We can't assume that people know, know the gospel just because, I mean, we live in America and everyone knows Jesus. No, it's, it's not like that. People don't know the gospel message, and we need to be the messengers of Jesus and speak it to those around us. And so that's the mission of this present age that Jesus has given us. And he's going to go and talk more about just the present age. He's going to talk about the future as well in the following verses. And this is where our perspective can really start to get skewed when we think about the future. And just like the disciples, we can start asking, okay, when is all this going to happen? When are, what are going to be the signs that these things are about to happen? What in our day are, are the signs of the end times? We can start to want to know. And Jesus has just taken us through these things that are going to happen. Wars, natural disasters, betrayal by family, you know, being hated, and all these things. But in verse 7 he said, okay, when you hear of this, don't be alarmed because the end is not yet. And in verse 8 he said that all of these things are just the beginnings of birth pains. These things are not signs of the end. And as we're going to see this, this time of tribulation that we're going to talk about is something that's going to happen suddenly and unexpected. And there's really, we, and worrying about trying to figure out when it's going to occur is not the point Jesus has for us. So let's look at verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will not be, for in those days there will be such tribulation 
as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard. I have told you all things beforehand. So this time that Jesus is speaking about, this is what we generally call the tribulation. This seven-year period of intense suffering, of intense trials, and we don't want to get bogged down in the details. And there's a lot of other places in Scripture that teaches us about the tribulation. But Jesus just wants to tell us a few realities about it. And the first one is that it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen suddenly. We can't look for signs. We can't expect when it will happen. None of, these, uh, none of wars or disasters or suffering, none of those things are signs of the end. And so Jesus said it will happen in an instant. The tribulation will begin. And it begins, as we see in verse 14, with this, this person called the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. And then I, I both love and hate what Mark says. He kind of inserts this parenthesis, and he says, let the reader understand. I would have rather Mark just explained what Jesus meant there, <laughs> but he doesn't. He just says, well, you should understand what he's talking about. So he doesn't really help us out very much, Mark. But um, the abomination of desolation, it's, it's a reference to the book of Daniel. And Daniel writes about this person a few different times. You don't have to turn there, but there's a few, a few realities about the abomination of desolation that you see there. And the first is that there's going, to be this, there's going to be this future ruler who's going to make a treaty with the people of Israel for a week or seven years. That's what Daniel says. And then second, you see that halfway through this seven-year period, this ruler will break the treaty and desecrate the temple. And then third, you see that this desecration will continue until God finally judges this ruler and his followers. So I think you could also call this the abomination of desolation, the antichrist that Paul writes about in the man of lawlessness he writes about in 2 Thessalonians, the beast who you find in Revelation. I think it's all talking about the same thing. And if you look throughout history, you can, you can find partial fulfillments of the things Daniel said, of what Jesus said. You can find these people and these stories in history that kind of fulfill some of the things they talked about, but ultimately, Jesus is, still, is talking about something that's still in the future for us. He's, ta- he's giving us promises that haven't been fulfilled yet. He's telling us about the future, and at some point, we know that there's just going to be this person who will be completely opposed to God and his people and will do all of these things. But like, we, like we've been saying, like I've been saying, Jesus is telling us it's going to happen suddenly. It's not something we can predict. We can't look for signs. And that's when we start to get in trouble is when we make predictions about when, like, certain dates and when things are going to happen. And I found um, in doing research about this a Wikipedia article, so a very trustworthy source, um, but a Wikipedia article that was um, dates that, I guess, prominent religious leaders have predicted that the end of the world is going to occur. And in the 21st century, there was, I think, over 20, and there was, like, 100 or something in the 20th century. And what's the commonality between all of them? Yeah, they all got it wrong. <laughs> they all got it wrong. They all tried predicting a certain date, and it didn't work out for them. And that's, again, what Jesus is saying, that you can't figure it out. You can't predict it. So don't try to. <laughs> it's going to happen suddenly, and we just need to be on a mission and be prepared until that time. 
So it's going to happen suddenly. Second, we see that it's, it's going to be a time of intense suffering. That's what Jesus says in verse 19. For in those days there will be such tribulation or oppression or suffering as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human would be, no human being would be saved. So Jesus says this, it's going to be just this time of intense suffering, oppression, affliction, such that the world has never seen. It will be worse than anything that has been seen in all creation. And we know from other passages of Scripture as well that there will be believers present during this time. But, and so Jesus says God will cut short the time for their, for their sake. And so we won't get too much into this, but we just see it's going to be a time of intense persecution and suffering. But lastly, we see that even in the tribulation, the task for Jesus' disciples does not change. That's what he says in verse 21, that if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. And just like in this present age, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray the elect, but be on guard. So it's, it's kind of the same command that he gives us today in the church age, to be on guard. And to be honest, from this, uh, from this passage, I could probably argue for a few different what we call tribulational or eschatological views, um, but that's not really the point that Jesus is making. And like I said, regardless of one's view, we know from other scriptures that there's going to be believers present during this time. And so what we see is that for the believers who are here in this time, the task and the mission is still the same. There's still going to be false prophets, false Christs, trying to lead astray God's people, trying to steer away Jesus' disciples. And so Jesus gives us the command to be on guard. Again, be on guard. Hold the gospel tightly. Be on guard for the gospel. Protect it. So believers during this age will need to guard the gospel, to spread it, to communicate it. We see that in, in Revelation that there will be people who get saved, who believe in Jesus during this tribulation period. So Jesus' disciples will still have that task to spread the good news during this time of intense suffering. And so in this passage, I think it's interesting how Jesus describes the trials and the task of this present age, but also then during the tribulation. They're very similar, but obviously the trials and suffering we experience now are just going to be very intensified during the tribulation period. But then the task is still the same, to hold tightly to the gospel, to hold tightly to Jesus, and to guard the gospel and to spread it, to cherish Christ above all else, to not be swayed by anyone or anything that offers itself up as a better Savior or a better Christ than Jesus. And ultimately, anything that this world tries to offer to you or tries to give to you and that says it can give you better happiness or fulfillment or satisfaction, that's, that's a false Messiah. That's a false Christ. The true Jesus of the gospel is the only one who can satisfy us. And he's the only one who gives us peace in trials. And he's the one who walked the path of suffering before us, and he's with us in that path of suffering as well. And so I, I can't tell you whether or not we're going to be around for the tribulation. Most likely we're all going to die before it happens anyways, <laughs> just like believers have for the last 2,000 years. That's the reality of what's happened. But we can, we can just know that no matter what, no matter what, our task is the same, to hold tightly to Jesus in the middle of suffering, in the middle of trials, and to spread the good news of the gospel at all times. And we can know that in our suffering, whether it's in this age or the next age, our hope is still in the return of our Savior, Jesus. Let's look at the last few verses of our passage in verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, 
the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the son of man coming in clouds with great power and glory and then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven so for every single believer in every age throughout history that's our hope right there Jesus' return, the Son of Man who's going to gather us to live with him forever. That title, the Son of Man, that also comes from the book of Daniel. And Daniel says this in chapter 7. He says, I saw in the night visions that behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given a dominion and a glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So that title that Jesus is using for himself, the son of man, that's a kingly title, a title for a ruler, someone who is worshipped and glorified. But it's not the first time Jesus has used that title for himself and we see it used again and again multiple times throughout Mark's gospel. And we see throughout Mark's gospel that the son of man also should suffer many things, that the Son of Man will be killed by the hands of men, that the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn, condemn him to death. And lastly, you probably know this verse, that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Those are what Jesus has said is going to happen to him, the Son of Man. And we know that Jesus, the ruler and king of this world, he first came to suffer to die on a cross for you and for me. He walked the path of suffering for our salvation. And so he's come once to serve us by giving his life for us. But now he's telling us he's going to come again. And when he comes again, he's not going to come the same way. He's not going to come in suffering. He's not going to come to do that again. He's going to come to reign. He's going to come to judge the world and to gather his people together and establish his kingdom here on this earth. Jesus is coming back one day. And just like the tribulation, no one knows the day or the hour that it's going to happen. But that is our hope, at least it should be. That's the truth, the reality that we hope for. And Jesus isn't telling us a fairy tale or just giving us something to wishfully think about, even though it's sometimes hard to grasp that reality that he is going to come back one day. But that is what is going to happen in the world that we live in. That is what gives us something to sustain in during trials. That's what gives us peace in storms of life. That's what motivates us to spread the gospel to all the nations so that they get a chance to hear about the saving grace of our God and have their sins forgiven before he comes back. The imminent and soon return of Christ is one of the core foundations of our faith as believers. It just is. The fact that he is coming back, he's going to make all things new. When he does, he will right every wrong, wipe away every tear, establish his kingdom, and bring us together as his people to live with him forever. And I hope that gives you hope as you hear about it today. I hope that's something that encourages you. So I have to ask, are you ready for that day? Are you excited for that day? Are you currently living on mission and anticipation of that day? How are you proclaiming the gospel to all nations at home? <laughs> all nations go, extends to your home. It extends to your work, your circle card, the people you have contact with. So how are you telling people about Jesus who came once and suffered for them on a cross, but also about how he's coming again to judge sin? 
But are you treasuring the gospel? Are you guarding it? And are you using your life to spread it, to advance it? That's what Jesus says our mission is until he comes back. So are you excited for that day? Are you also just comforted by that as well, knowing that he's coming back for us? Knowing that ultimately Jesus is the only one who can give you peace in your suffering. And that hoping to see him face to face is what gives us confidence in trials. Or maybe is there a reason you would say, I don't, you know, I don't really know if I'm excited for that day or looking forward for that day. Maybe you would say, I don't, you know, I don't know if I want Jesus to come back today because I think I need to get right with God first. I think there's some things God and I have to work out in our relationship before I see him face to face. Well, maybe the Spirit's bringing something to your mind, and guess what? There's nothing stopping you. There's nothing stopping you from making the steps, the faithful steps of growth and repentance that God is calling you to make. His kindness draws us to repent and to grow in like Christ-likeness until the day Jesus comes back. So maybe there's a step you need to take in your walk with God. Or maybe there's something in your life that you want where you just don't want Jesus to come back until you have this certain thing. And that's a real possibility for a lot of us, whether it's you know, to have kids or have our kids or grandkids reach a certain age or to you know, have some certain life experience or reach a certain point in our lives. A lot of us, we, if we were really honest with ourselves, we would say we don't know if we really want Jesus to come back until we have that. Or we've done that. But I think that can mean we're simply valuing that experience or that thing more than Jesus. And somehow we think that we would be happier if he came back later as long as we got what we wanted before. Unless it, that we'd be happier if that happened than if he just came back today and we got to see our Savior face to face. It's kind of ridiculous of us to think that way. And Jesus said that there would be false Christs, there will be false messiahs, saviors that would try to lead us astray. And those aren't just people that are going to try to convince you that they're Jesus or something like that. Maybe a false Christ for you is something that you think will bring you more happiness or accomplishment or satisfaction in your life than Christ will. Maybe you tend to get led astray by the false Messiah of work or the false Christ of a relationship or family things or life goals or any of these things. But ultimately, none of these things bring us satisfaction. They don't bring us peace in our suffering. They don't motivate us to live on mission and spread the gospel. They're liars that take away from the true joy that we can know in knowing Christ. The true joy and satisfaction that is offered to us in knowing our Savior, in knowing God's love for us in Jesus, and in living with the hope that he is going to come back again one day and make all things new. So Jesus is still going to go on and teach some more, and we'll look at that, the rest of this passage next week, but he gives us kind of a lot to think about about the present age that we live in, about these future things that are going to happen that he's predicting, as scary as it may be, but it's still guaranteed to happen. But also he gives us hope, hope that he's going to come back, he's going to make all things new, and he is going to bring us home to be with him forever. And in the meantime, we know that the task for us remains the same, that we, Jesus' disciples in every age, we must live on mission despite suffering until he comes back again one day. So let's pray. Dear Father, thank you so much for this word that you have inspired to us. Thank you that Jesus came once to suffer and to die on a cross for our sins so that we can be forgiven and we can be made righteous. And now we know that he is going to come back again one day. God, I pray that that would give us hope, that that would inspire and motivate us to live on mission for the gospel, that that would maybe give some of us here this morning peace in the middle of our suffering. So I just thank you for Jesus and the hope that we have that he's coming back again one day. In his name I pray, amen.
Thank you for listening to the podcast of Community Bible Church. Follow us on Facebook to keep up to date with all our latest content. Thank you.